0: Welcome to the Biome Podcast. My name is Graham and I am your host. I have some announcements quickly. Uh, We have some amazing things in the works for the membership and they will be announced before the next episode actually. It's really very exciting. As such, the membership price has gone up a bit to help fund these new initiatives. The new price is $10 US a month, which is still extremely inexpensive for what you're getting. Everyone that signed up before the price increase will stay at the old price of five dollars us the membership is a great gift and experience and it's only getting better way better currently you get early access to all the content we put out from articles to podcast episodes to activities like quizzes and more there are photo contests and expert questions and answer sessions uh with more launching this month so stay tuned and follow us on social media as that is where it will all be announced or feel free to sign up for our email, as we will send out an email with the announcements as well. A portion of the membership fee goes towards directly helping species on the brink of extinction, so it's definitely a great cause. So head on over to biomedia.org or thebiomepodcast.com and sign up for the membership or our free newsletter and be the first to get announcements. Also, if you think you're knowledgeable, head on over to the site where we have a number of quizzes with more being released constantly. So test your knowledge and challenge your friends and share the results on social media. We release new quizzes weekly so keep an eye out for the new ones. Don't forget to tag us when you post your results as we love seeing them. Just head on over to the site and click activities in the menu. For now though, let's jump into the animal spotlight section. welcome to the animal spotlight section of the episode today we're going to be looking at probably one of the most unique creatures in the world today and we'll get into why it is but today we're going to be looking at the hoatzin now Imagine stumbling upon a bird that seems to have raided a punk rock wardrobe, moonlights as a vegetarian in a world of insect-loving peers and vocalises with the gusto of an entire symphony of rusty gates. Meet the Hawatsun, Amazon rainforest's most eccentric avian resident. This bird doesn't just march to the beat of its own drum, it has an entire band. And if you've never heard of the Hawatsun. Prepare yourself for a trip down a rabbit hole or perhaps a bird's nest of one of Mother Nature's quirkiest creations. Don't worry, we'll have some laughs along the way as we unravel the mystique of this mohawked marvel. Let's embark on this feathery adventure together, shall we? Alright, so now that we're all geared up for our feathery journey, let's get to know our star a little bit better, the Hwatson. with its scientific name Episthocomus Hwatson. Sounds fancy, doesn't it? It's predominantly found strutting its stuff in the Amazon rainforest. But if you're envisioning just another rainforesty bird with typical bright colours and a song to match, think again. Instead, picture this. A bird roughly the size of a pheasant, rocking a spiky crest on its head. That would make any punk rocker jealous. Its plumage is a rich blend of browns and tans and yellows. But the showstopper is undoubtedly the face. A vivid, I've got nothing to hide, shade of blue. And here's where it gets even better. Those eyes. Reddish brown and piercing. As if it's constantly judging your fashion choices. But you probably won't take it too seriously if you think about what it's wearing. If you're planning on heading out to the Amazon though to catch a whiff of this feathery diva, you might want to pack some nose plugs. Our spiky-headed friend here comes with its very own uh, unique perfume. Due to its particular vegetarian diet and the fermentation process in its gut, more on that fascinating bit a little bit later, the Hoatzin has earned the name Stinkbird. That's right, this bird is so unashamedly itself it's basically a punk rocker who wore too much cologne to the party some say the aroma is reminiscent of fresh cow manure while others think it's more like a well aged compost pile romantic isn't it but don't let the smell deter you behind the oh distinct bird lies a creature filled with intriguing quirks and peculiarities waiting to be discovered now if you're expecting a song of an angel from this flamboyant fellow, brace yourself the Hwatson call is more like a series of grunts, hisses, and groans, as if it's perpetually complaining about the humidity in the rainforest. The Hwatson is unapologetically unique, and that's just a glimpse. As we dig deeper, we'll uncover more of its quirks, whims, and wows, so hang tight, because this is no ordinary bird tail. Alright, folks. Now hold on to your birdwashing binoculars because we're about to deep dive into a bona fide ornithological mystery. The Watson, aside from being the rainforest's edgiest punk, holds another title, The Living Fossil. No, we're not talking about your final collection, we're talking about ancient ancestry. You see, the Watson's lineage is like that of a mysterious box in your attic that you're too scared to open filled with questions, surprises and a whole lot of what? While most birds can proudly point to a family tree filled with cousins, aunts and distant relatives, the hoatzin's tree is more like a solitary twig. It's the enigma of the avian world with no close living relatives. Scientists over the years have been scratching their heads, adjusting their glasses and probably pouring over large cups of coffee, trying to pinpoint where exactly our stinky punk rocker fits in the grand evolutionary scheme of things. Some believe it might share ties with ancient birds that once roamed our planet millions of years ago, making its unique characteristics a whisper from the world long gone. It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside a spiky-haired enigma. The more we learn about the Hawatson, the more questions arise. But isn't that the beauty of it? Here we have a bird that defines, oh, defies rather not defines, defies, defies characterization. It challenges our understanding and gives us a tantalizing glimpse into the deep history of our planet. And as our journey unfolds, we'll dig deeper into the tales of this ancient bird with the contemporary flair. So let's hope open the Watson Swiss Army knife. And the first tool we're pulling out is their wonderfully weird and wacky stomach. So fasten your seatbelts and put on your I'm ready to be amazed faces because here comes a rollercoaster of avian anatomy. If you were to x-ray our punky pal and the first thing you'd notice after getting over the sheer oddity of it all is a stomach that's taking up an obscene amount of real estate. And there's good reason for it. You see, while most of their avian cousins are gobbling up worms, insects, and the occasional, probably unfortunate frog, the Watson is happily munching on leaves and like it's having a perpetual salad buffet. But here's the kicker, those leaves are not particularly easy to digest. So that's where the stomach comes in. The Watson possesses a full gut fermentation system. In layman's terms, think of a cow's digestive system but packed into a bird. That's right, our feathery friend is ruminating, fermenting and breaking down those tough leaves into a compartmentalised or in a compartmentalized stomach, just like Bessie the cow would. This allows the Watson to extract as much nutrition as possible from their green diet even though it does lead to the signature Eau de Compost scent that we were talking about earlier. And while this might make for some fragrant consequences, it's a truly remarkable adaptation. It means that the Watson can feast on on a wide array of vegetation that most other birds couldn't even glance at. It's like having a superpower, but instead of shooting webs or flying, They can digest leaves like a champ. In this buffet, the Hawatson has found its own unique corner, and oh boy does it own it. So the next thing that they have is, well, let's cue the dramatic music and spotlight because it's time to introduce the Hawatsons' chicks. Now, if you thought baby birds were all about fluffy feathers, tiny chirps or screaming, depending on if you've spent time out with sparrows recently and waiting on worm deliveries, think again. The Watson chicks come with an added feature that seems straight out of a superhero origin story. They have claws on their wings. Yep, you heard right. These little rock stars are sporting a pair of functional claws on each wing, giving them a look that's part bird and part baby dragon. So why the winged weaponry? Let's set the scene. You're a baby Watson hanging out in your treetop crib where suddenly a sneaky predator thinks you're on the menu for the day. Instead of becoming a snack, you use those wicked claws to climb deeper into the branches and make a daring escape. It's like having a built-in grappling hook. These claws offer the chicks a crucial advantage in the dense, dangerous world of the rainforest. They can scuttle up and down branches, hide in the thick foliage, and when dangerous past, take the occasional or take the occasional tumble, only to climb back into their nest. Now here's where the plot thickens. As they grow and their flying skills develop, those claws eventually become less prominent. It's as if nature decided to give them a little starter pack for life in the Amazon. Theories suggest that these claws might be a throwback to an ancient avian ancestor, again, adding layer to the evolutionary enigma that is the Watson. All in all, whether they're an evolutionary hand-me-down or just another quirk of the Watson's already eccentric repertoire, one thing's for sure, these chicks were born ready to face the wild claws and all but what about their flight they're a bird right so they must be able to fly or especially if they live in the amazon and live in the trees now when you think of flight in a bird most of the times you're thinking of something majestic soaring in the sky wings outstretched catching the wind with grace but then there's the Watson if birds were planes, then the Hwatson is that old rickety prop plane that chugs, wobbles, and makes you question the laws of aerodynamics. Such an unconventional flight style. It's Well, let's venture into the intricacies of the Hwatson aviation and look into why. Remember that stomach of wonders we raved about? It's as marvelous as it is for digesting leaves. It comes with a slight airborne hiccup. Because their digestive system is so large, occupying the first class section of their body real estate, it leaves less room for powerful flight muscles. This means that when the Hawatsin decides to take to the skies, it's a bit of a bumbling affair. Picture someone trying to run with a backpack full of bricks. That's our Hawatson trying to get some air. But here's the beautiful paradox. While they might not be winning any air races, on terra firma or rather in the branches and thickets of the amazon they're absolute ninjas those seemingly clumsy wings paired with their strong legs make them expert climbers allowing them to maneuver through dense vegetation with the ease of a gymnast their flight might be short clumsy and a tad comical but once they land they navigate their leafy world with unparalleled elegance it's all a matter of perspective in the vast avian olympics Not everyone is a sprinter. Some are incredible acrobats. And our Watson is proudly repping team parkour. But we've talked about their airborne antics and we've talked about their fantastic stomachs. We've even talked about the claws. But now it's time to lend an ear to their melodious serenades. So brace yourself because the Watson is about to drop its latest track. And it's unlike any bird call you've ever heard. Do me a favour, imagine this. You're wandering through the serene Amazon, listening to the harmonic tweets and songs of various birds, when suddenly you hear what sounds like a disgruntled old man arguing with a squeaky dog hinge. Yep, that's our Hawatan belting out its heart. Their calls consist of a bizarre series of grunts, groans, hisses, and other noises you probably wouldn't typically associate with feathered songsters. It's the avian equivalent of experimental jazz. You're not always quite sure what's happening, but it's undeniably unique. But why such an unusual soundtrack? Well, the theories are varied as the sounds are as varied as the sounds themselves. One possibility is that the distinct vocalizations help them communicate in their swampy, dense habitat. High pitched tweets might get lost among the dense foliage, but that deep grunt? That can travel. Moreover, these strange sounds could serve as a deterrent or a warning. Predators lurking nearby might think twice if they hear what sounds like a mini monster rather than a tasty bird. Another theory is that these offbeat vocals could be a form of identity. In the diverse bustling community of the Amazon, every every species needs a way to stand out, stake its claim, and be recognized by its peers. The Hawatan, with its punk appearance and avant-garde vocals, certainly achieves that. So while the Hawatan might not be winning any avian talent shows with its vocal prowess, it definitely has the most memorable award in the bag. But let's talk a bit about their um, the looks. The fashion-forward friends and enthusiasts of the avian aesthetics, it's time to l- zoom in on the pierced resistance of the Watson ensemble. The show-stopping blue face framed by a punk rock mohawk. If birds had certain... Or, if birds had fashion magazines, the Hawatson would undoubtedly grace the cover with its tremendous or trend setting look. First, though, let's take a moment to appreciate the colour palette. We've got a face that's a shade of electric blue that could make the sky jealous, and the striking feature is set against a warm, rufous plumage, giving a bird a look that's both edgy and elegant. It's like Mother Nature decided to give the Hawatzen a makeover while listening to some 80s rock. And let's not forget that iconic crest. Spiky mohawk that seems to shout, yeah, I'm over here. But why such a flashy appearance? Birds, after all, don't just go around looking fabulous without a reason. One possibility is the age-old Game of attraction. Just as peacocks flaunt their iridescent tails, the Hawatsun could be using its vibrant face and spiky crest to woo potential mates. Hey there, check out my dazzling blue face and edgy hairstyle. Another theory though is camouflage. While it might seem counterintuitive giving its vibrant colours, in the dappled sunlight of the Amazon canopy. The combination of blues and roofers might just blend seamlessly, offering the Watson a sneaky way to hide in plain sight. And then there's another option, Intimidation. That bold blue face can look quite startling, especially if you're a smaller bird or a predator thinking of making a move. The crest standing on end will make the Watson appear bigger and more menacing. Nature's very own punk rock security system. But whatever the reason, be it romance, disguise or defense, the Watson's blue face and mohawk make it one of the most distinctive and stylish residents on the Amazon. But now let's take a look at the nesting habits. Let's take an elevator ride straight to the Watson's penthouse, the treetops of the Amazon. If the Watson were a real estate agent, their sales pitch would go something like this. Why settle for the ground level when you can have an overwater panoramic jungle view suite? The Hawatan doesn't just pick any random branch to set up shop, no. These birds have a knack for choosing prime real estate. They build their nests directly over water, picture this, a cozy nook nestled amidst the leafy green canopy and the shimmering water below reflecting the dance of sunlight through the leaves. It's like the Beverly Hills or bird nesting spots. But there's more to this location choice than just the view. Building nests over water offers some nifty advantages. For one, it's a built-in moat system against ground-based predators. A sneaky snake or a prowling jaguar might think twice before attempting a watery heist. Plus, if a young Watson ever finds itself in a tight spot, or misses a step in treetop climbing adventures, it has a soft-ish landing in the water below from which it can swim to safety and later, using those handy wing claws, climb back to the nest. It's a combination of security and a safety net all in one. But there's also another level to this. By nesting over water, the Hawatan ensures a relatively stable microclimate for its chicks. The water below acts as a natural temperature regulator, ensuring the nest doesn't get too hot or too cold, especially in the unpredictable climate of the rainforest. So, between the scenic views, predator protection, and the optimal nursing conditions, the Hwatsun's overwater nesting habits showcase its clever adaptability and flair for choosing the best spots in town. But do they nest alone? Do they nest in a group? Do they live in a group? Do they live in a flock? Do they live um, alone? First things first, the Hwatsun tends to live in family groups. Often a mix of generations from one feathery, uh, all in one feathery commune, it's like a never ending family reunion, but with fewer awkward conversations and more synchronized squawks. They even share babysitting duties, because hey, it takes a bird to raise a village, right? Something along those lines. Each family member plays a part, from gathering food to keeping a watchful eye for predators. And remember those quirky calls we talked about earlier? Well, it turns out they're not just for show. Hawatsons use a variety of calls to communicate within their group, which adds another level of complexity to their social structure. From warning grunts that alert the community to danger, to softer sounds that might be the avian version of a friendly, hey, how's it going? Their vocal range keeps everyone in the loop. Now, we mentioned that they live in family groups, but what about territories? Just because they're social doesn't mean they're pushovers. When it comes to their territory, Hootsons can get fiercely protected. Imagine them like bouncers on the chosen treetops, ready to kick out any feathered interlopers with a guttural grunt or a sweeping display of those awkward yet effective wings. No one messes with a Hootson. Territorial disputes can be quite the spectacle, involving dramatic flights, vocal showdowns, and perhaps even a flash of that intimidating blue face and spiky crest. They might not be as swift as a falcon or as powerful as an eagle, but their bravado and collective spirit make them a force to be reckoned with. So whether they are harmoniously coexisting in family groups or staunchly defending their leafy realms, Hootsons demonstrate a robust social fabric that is as intriguing as it is effective. Consider them the neighborhood watch, social committee, and tight-knit family all rolled into one feathery fabulous package. But what about their their, uh, um, challenges? What about their threats? Let's look at natural predators first. First up, the wild isn't as exactly a walk in the park for Ho'atzons, especially the young ones. Predators are always lurking around, eyeing those treetop nests like they are an all-you-can-eat buffet. Snakes, large birds of prey, and even some arboreal mammals see young Hawatsons as a tasty snack. And while the Hawatsons' parents and their extended family are always on high alert, complete with warning calls and intimidation tactics, some losses are inevitable. It's a tough world out there, even if you have a blue face and a punk rock crest. But let's not forget the most unpredictable predator of all, humans. In its quest for land, resources and sometimes just a new profile pic in front of a cut down tree, we pose a substantial threat to the Watsons. Habitat destruction through logging and clear uh, land clearing for agriculture is shrinking their world. And then there's hunting, though not a widespread issue, it does add another layer of risk to their. Ex- existence but when there are poachers or when there are people um, taking animals there are also conservation efforts so are we doomed in a world without these flamboyant flyers no of course not there are conservationists um, and efforts are being made to study the Watson more closely understanding their needs and habits to create a more effective conservation strategy. Protected areas are being established and environmental education is helping locals become stewards of their feathery neighbors. Now here's where you can come in. Even from afar, your voice matters. Speak up for responsible land use and support organizations committed to Amazon conservation. Every tweet, share, and donation can make a difference. Heck, even adopting a more sustainable habits can lessen the strain on their habitat. Remember, we're all connected in a web of life, and Watson's is one thread too fabulous to lose. And there we have it. From the science labs to the tribal firesides, from the depths of the evolutionary debate to the heights of cultural folklore, the Watson always leaves no leaf unturned, quite literally considering its dietary habits. As we've gallivanted through the unique traits social dynamics conservation challenges it's clear that these birds are more than just quirky denizens of the amazon it's a real showstopper a mystery wrapped enigma sprinkled with a bit of magic if you've been enchanted with its by its clawed chicks beguiled by its punk rock appearance or captivated in its role in myth and media you're not alone The Watson is, in many ways, a living paradox, a creature that defies easy categorization, existing at an intersection of science, culture, and imagination. So what's the takeaway? Well, in a world that loves to put things into neat boxes, the Watson serves as a feathery reminder that some mysteries are meant to be savored, not solved. Whether you're a birdwatcher or just someone who appreciates the weird and wonderful, The Watson offers something for everyone. And hey, if you ever find yourself wandering the tangled web of the Amazon rainforest, keep an eye, and probably a nose, out for these fascinating birds. You'll be in for a tale worth telling, a spectacle worth seeing, and maybe, just maybe, a little bit of magic that keeps our world wondrous. Thanks for flying with us in this adventure through the wild, weird and absolutely wondrous world of the Watson safe travels and happy exploring and we will be moving on to the technical section in a couple of moments hey there and welcome to the technical section of the episode we the technical section is a place where we look at um a theory concept or idea that is hopefully related to the animal we spoke about earlier in the spotlight session, but not necessarily. Either way, it's not related to, or it's not um, solely about a specific animal. Today, we're going to look at something very interesting. Have you ever been on a video call and met someone who looked eerily similar to a friend you know, only to find out that they are from an entirely different part of the world with no shared family tree? It's like some kind of cosmic glitch, or if you're a fan of fiction, it's the sort of thing that makes you think you're stuck in an episode of The Twilight Zone. Well, brace yourself, because the natural world has its own version of this doppelganger phenomenon, and it's called convergent evolution. Now, don't let the sciency term scare you off. I promise you, this is a journey you're going to want to tag along for. In a nutshell. Convergent evolution is what happens when two completely unrelated species say, hey, you got chocolate in my peanut butter, metaphorically it's, of course, and end up developing very similar traits. Not because they come from the same evolutionary tree branch, but because they face similar challenges that require similar solutions. It's as if mother nature reused some of her best designs across a totally different canvas. Sort of like plagiarism. In today's um, section, though, we're going to embark on an awe-inspiring safari through time and space to meet some of Earth's most incredible creatures that have mastered the art of survival in strikingly similar ways. And speaking of incredible creatures, one of them is going to be the Watson. Bird is the feathery embodiment of a mystery novel. But we've spoken about that previously. So sit back, maybe grab a cup of your favorite beverage, coffee, tea, or perhaps something a little stronger. I don't judge. As we delve into the fascinating, unpredictable, and sometimes downright bewildering world of convergent evolution. Trust me, this is going to be a wild ride through biology, geography, and the magical quirks that make our planet the diverse wonderland that it is. So you're ready to explore? Let's go. So what is convergent evolution? This is a crucial, or it is crucial to set the definition straight away, because, you know, science likes to be precise. So what is the mystical term convergent evolution? Imagine two kids, one in New York and one in Tokyo, both constructing remarkably similar Lego towers without ever having met or seen each other's designs. They have different pieces, different instruction manuals, if they're even using one. And yet, voila, they end up with the same strikingly similar convergent evolution is pretty much that, but for living things. It's the independent evolution of similar features in species that are not closely related. So two or more species face similar challenges, and... Like cosmic twins separated at birth, they independently evolve similar solutions. But why does this even matter, you might ask? Pondering over your cup of artisanal, single-origin cold brew coffee. Here's the kicker. Convergent evolution can be like a crystal ball, revealing all sorts of juicy insights about the world that we live in. For one, it tells us about shared environmental pressures. Let's say you find something uh, similar or you find a similar looking fish in the icy waters of the Arctic and the Antarctic. That's not just a fishy coincidence. It's a clue that the two far apart places have similar challenges, like freezing temperatures, that life has to adapt to. And hold on, because it gets even cooler, no pun intended, convergent evolution can also give us the inside scoop on what. I like to call Nature's Best Practices Guidebook. Yep, that's right. Mother Nature has a favourite solution to problems, and they crop up again and again. Why reinvent the wheel when you already have a design that's tried and true? From the shape of a shark's fin to the way certain plants conserve water, these repeating patterns clue us into the limitations or optimal strategies that the natural world offers. In short, convergent evolution isn't just a scientific curiosity. It's a window into understanding how life as we know it operates. It helps us understand why certain designs are favoured by natural selection and offers a glimpse into the why and how behind some of the most unique and yet strangely familiar forms of life we see around us. So now that you've got the 411 on convergent evolution, you're all set to be the life of the party, impressing friends and dates with your uncanny ability to explain why unrelated species sometimes look alike. But let's dive into some mind blowing examples including the jaw dropping tale of the Watson. So first let's look at sharks and dolphins. This is the kind of tale that'll make you go, no way, that can't be real. But oh, they are. So let's kick off with a marine blockbuster, Sharks vs. Dolphins. Nope, it's not a sci-fi channel original movie, though I would totally watch that, honestly. We're talking about two creatures that look like they could be distant cousins, but are in fact not even remotely related. It's like finding out that Batman and Iron Man aren't from the same cosmic universe. First off, let's meet Team Shark. These guys have been around for more than 400 million years, they're doing the whole apex predator thing while dinosaurs were still figuring out how to be cool. Sharks are fish, cartilaginous fish to be precise, meaning their skeletons are made out of cartilage instead of bone. And the headline here is their shape, streamlined bodies and fins that make them the Ferraris of the ocean. On the other side of the ring, we have team dolphin. Cute, intelligent, total mammal heartthrobs. Unlike sharks, dolphins are warm-blooded, breathe air, and nurse their young with milk. But take a gander at their body shape, what do you see? That's right, streamlined bodies, dorsal fins, flippers, and a tail that could make a shark say, hey, who copied my look? So here's where things get juicy. Why in Neptune's name would a shark and a dolphin, two creatures from totally different walks or should I say swims, of life end up looking so similar? The answer, my friends, is a little thing called environmental factors. Both of these critters are built for speed and agility because they live in a world that demands it. Whether It's a shark chasing down its next sushi dinner, or a dolphin evading uh, predators and playfully leaping through the ocean, they've got to be fast, efficient swimmers. The ocean is not a forgiving place, and to survive, you have got to adapt. In essence, sharks and dolphins are a testament to the whole form follows function philosophy. The ocean is a vast 3D obstacle-filled racetrack. And if you're going to last, you need to be built for it. Mother Nature, being the efficient designer she is, decided that a streamlined body with fins is the best way to go. It's like they both independently stumbled upon the same cheat code for Ocean Survival One on One. So there you have it sharks and dolphins are each other's doppelgangers. Not because they have a common, fantastic ancestor, but because they have had to solve similar challenges in their watery world. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Let's jet set from the ocean to dry land and talk about some spiky plants that decided to be it would be cool to be twinsies. So, buckle up. Time to talk about a couple of plants that really stuck. Let's huddle around cacti from the Americas and euphorbias from Africa, two plant families that have never met but could totally pass as siblings in a botanical family photo. First up, let's say howdy to cacti, the undeniable stars of every Western movie backdrop. If you're imagining tumbleweed, cowboys, and the iconic saguaro cactus, you're right on the money. These plants have had, um, or have said a big nope to leaves and a yes please to spines. All the better to conserve water in their arid homes while the desert of Arizona or the Mexican plains cook most other plants. They're tough, they're edgy, literally, and they become masters at surviving in places where water is as rare as a blue moon. Now let's hop on a plane and jet set to Africa. Forget lions and elephants for a moment, because we're spotlighting the lesser known, but no less amazing, euphobias. You'd be forgiven for thinking you're looking at a cactus. Spiky? Check. Green? Check. It looks like it could puncture a tyre? Double check. But guess what? These guys are not cacti. They're more like distant relatives that have got invited to the same costume party and showed up in almost identical outfits. But why are these two completely unrelated plant families twinning? The not-so-secret ingredient is their shared, oh-so-dry environment. When life gives you arid soils and scorching heat, you'd better make spines. Both cacti and euphorbias have developed similar features like water-storing stems, reduced leaves, and yet, those iconic spines to deter thirsty animals from turning them into a snack. So what's the big takeaway here? Just like our shark and dolphin friends, it's all about survival. When you live in a place where water drops are as precious as gold, you've got to get creative. And it seems both cacti and euphorbias have cracked the code, independently arriving at the same survival strategy. They're like two different chefs who never met but somehow both decided that the secret to a great barbecue is a dash of smoky paprika. And hey, before we jet off to meet our feathery friend again, the Watson, let's just appreciate how mind-blowingly awesome it is that Mother Nature comes up with the same solution to the same problems, even in different zip codes. Talk about a universal design. So. Let's look at the Pierre de Resistance, the mystery guest of our evolutionary soirée, the Watson. Let's set the stage. Imagine stepping into a steamy, lush swamp of South America, where the air is thick with humidity and buzzing sounds um, of life all around. And there, among the reeds and palms, you see it—a bird that looks like it's time-traveled straight from the age of dinosaurs. Yep, we're talking about the spiky crest on its head, the flashy set of feathers, and the claws on its wings when it's a youngster. It's like the birdy version of Wolverine, only less X-Men and more explaining what on earth is going on. The Watson is giving us major Jurassic Park meets birdwatching vibes, especially during its younger days. The baby Watson sport claws which we spoke about earlier. Just like the Archaeopteryx, one of the earliest bird species known from fossil records. Yeah, we're taking it back like 150 million years back. But before you start thinking that this is a long lost sibling, note that Watsons eventually lose their claws as they grow up. Still, the resemblance is uncanny and it's enough to make paleontologists do a double-take. So we've established that the Watson looks like something straight out of a sci-fi thriller, but what makes it a poster child for convergent evolution? Hold on to your binoculars, because this is where it gets wild. The feathery enigma doesn't just digest its leafy meals like other birds. No, it goes full-on cow mode. The Watson uses full gut fermentation to break down its diet of leaves and buds. In layman's terms, its stomach acts as a fermentation vat, similar to how cows digest their plant-based feasts. If you're scratching your head thinking, wait, a bird that digests like a cow, you're not alone. This is a convergent evolution at its quirkiest. Different species facing similar challenges, in this case a specialised leafy diet, have independently adapted similar digestive strategies the Howatan may not have your typical or may not look like your typical cow but inside they share the same dinner party tricks so there you have it the perplexing captivating hawatin a bird that's not just a bird but a fascinating jigsaw puzzle of evolutionary surprises from the archaeopteryx's like claws to the cow inspired digestion The Watson is like a walking, flying, squawking museum exhibit on how weird and wonderful convergent evolution can be. So what's the takeaway? Whether there's a ferocious beauty of the sharks and dolphins, the prickly resilience of cacti and euphorbias, or out-of-this-world weirdness of the Watson and cows, convergent evolution showcases its natural ability to find the best solutions to life's tough challenges. Over. And over again. So we've seen sharks and dolphins tear it up in the water, cacti and euphobias rocking their spikes in the desert, and even the and flipping the bird literally to what we thought we knew about avian life. But now it's time to tackle the big burning question. Why does this happen? Why does Mother Nature keep giving us these double takes and doppelgangers? The answer is two words. Environmental pressures. First off, let's get this straight. Life on earth is not a leisurely stroll in the park. Nope, it's more like an obstacle course designed by a mad scientist. Or in this case, a relentless juggernaut that is our environment. We're talking predators, harsh climates, a hunt for food, and even the occasional volcanic eruption for dramatic effect. In short, Life is tough, and to make it, you've got to adapt or face the music. Now, you know how in fashion, certain trends keep coming back, bell-bottoms, for example? Well, think of these environmental pressures as nature's trending hashtags. If hashtag need for speed is trending in the ocean, then both sharks and dolphins are going to click on it, even though they're coming from totally different social circles. One's a mammal and the other's a fish. The incredible thing is that these shared pressures often lead to shared solutions. They don't make the species involved into cookie cutter copies of each other. Sharks may be built for speed, like dolphins, but they've still got those gnarly jaws and zero need for air breaks. Cacti and euphobias might both be great at water storage, but only one will give you latex if you cut into it. And the well. It might ferment leaves like a cow, but you'll never see a cow perched on a tree branch, let alone trying to take to the skies. It's not just about what these pressures are, but it's also about where they're coming from. The ocean is a high speed chase scene, the desert is a test of endurance, and the swamp, well that's likely an agility course from an avian olympic event. Different stages, same challenges. That's why you get these seemingly unrelated species taking pages from the same playbook. So what's the mic drop moment here? Environmental pressures are like the talent scouts of the natural world. They spot the potential for certain traits, speed, water conservation, complex digestion, and say, yes, yes, you, you're going to the next round. And sometimes those calls go out to the most unexpected contestants leading to some of the greatest hits in the evolutionary charts. Are you amazed? Intrigued? Maybe even a little gobsmacked? Good, because understanding these hidden threads that tie life together makes us all a little bit wiser, a little more in awe of the world. So why does such convergence happen? Hold onto your lab coats and get those detective magnifying glasses out because we're diving into the teeny tiny double helix world of genetics. Yep, while environmental pressures are the flashy stage managers in this theater, it's time to give a standing ovation to the unsung heroes working behind the scenes, our genes. So let's break it down. DNA is a complex recipe book for every living thing. Sometimes this cookbook has a limited set of ingredients to work with. We're not all born with the Martha Stewart pantry of genetic possibilities. And when you've got limited options, what do you do? You get creative. You mix and match until you find something that works. Something delectable. Or, you know, something that keeps you from getting eaten. So then there's also mutations, the spice of life. Nature's little game changers. Think of them as the surprise ingredients in our genetic cook-off. Sometimes they're a truffle oil that elevates the dish, and sometimes they're like an ill-advised sprinkle of ghost peppers that sends you scrambling for milk. Mutations can both create new possibilities or limit the menu by taking some options off the table. These mutations can, in certain cases, lead to the same aha solution for different species dealing with similar challenges. Here's where it gets juicy, though. Because DNA and genetic mutations can both limit and expand what's possible, they kind of act like choreographers in the tango of evolution. Sometimes they guide species towards a similar adapt, like, alright guys, let's all move towards having wings, because there's a shared beat or rhythm in the environmental music. But then there's the flip side, where constraints make everyone converge in, on a single move like sharks and dolphins, both going streamlined. Not necessarily because it's the jazziest option, but because it's the only one that keeps you in the dance. Constraints, whether environmental or genetic, can push unrelated species to riff on the same basic themes, leading to those, hey, haven't, haven't I seen you somewhere, moments in the natural world. What's super intriguing is when different species Each with their own genetic flavor, I guess, end up brewing similar survival strategies, like I forgot fermenting Hodson and cows. It's as if life again and again finds ways to make best lemonade out of whatever genetic lemons are at hand. So let's connect the dots. Convergent evolution isn't just about species facing the same challenges. It's also about how they play the genetic cards they're dealt. Sometimes they're holding similar cards thanks to environmental pressures, and sometimes they're bluffing with a pair of genetic twos and still manage to win the pot. And that's the mind-bogglingly cool thing. Whether it's through shared pressures or a quiet ticking of our genetic clocks, life finds a way to converge on solutions that work. It's like the universe's best of album, but instead of top 40 hits, it's filled with adaptational chart toppers. So why does Convergence happen? So you've heard the phrase, survival of the fittest. You know it's a thing, and let me tell you. It's the bedrock, the cornerstone, the VIP of evolutionary dynamics. That's right, we're talking about survival of the fittest. First off, let's give a shout out to the OG influencers of biology, Charles Darwin. This is the dude who made survival of the fittest go viral. Well, it's as viral as you can in the 19th century. It's not just about being strong or fast, it's about being fit for your specific environment. If you're a bird in a swamp, you better have a good strategy for not becoming gator lunch. And if you're a plant in the desert, you better know how to throw a water-saving party. But here's where things get spicy. The most efficient traits often get the gold medals in the Darwinian Olympics. If streamlined bodies make you Michael Phelps in the water, guess what? That's going to be a recurring theme among ocean dwellers. Efficiency is the name of a game and Mother Nature loves a good repeat performance. Natural Selection is the ultimate recycler. Found something that works? Great, let's use it again, but maybe in a slightly different context. Sure, wings are fab for birds, but bats caught on and said, hey, that flying thing looks cool, mind if I join? It says Natural Selection kept a folder of best practices and shares it across the board. Think of these optimal traits like trending hashtags in social media of life. Streamlined bodies started trending in the ocean and both sharks and dolphins hit light. uh, Water storage got big in arid climates and voila, cacti and euphorbias both were all over that. And then there's full gut fermentation where the hawatsin and cows become unlikely members of the same niche club. But hold up. It's not just a one and done kind of thing. Sometimes one efficient trait sets off a domino effect of other traits to support it. You want to fly? Well, you're going to need lightweight bones and specialised muscles too. Survival of the fittest often turns into survival of the fitting where a bunch of traits have to fit together like a piece of a puzzle for the m- full survival picture. So in the grand scheme of things, it's like we're watching a reality TV show where certain contestants keep winning challenges season after season across different versions of the show. They might not be the same people or even the same species, but they've got the winning strategy down pat. So this isn't just about cool critters and who world best in the animal kingdom. Understanding convergent evolution can actually be our Rosetta Stone for deciphering the big swirling enigma of life on Earth. Think of convergent evolution as the ultimate clue in a grand evolutionary mystery. When similar traits pop up in different lineages, you've got yourself a red string connecting photos on the investigator's wall. Aha, we say, as we finally make the connection. It helps us identify broader patterns and trends, like the evolutionary equivalents of cops, uh, of crop tops or fanny packs that might otherwise go unnoticed. But do you want to know what works best for surviving in high altitudes or deep waters? Take a gander at what convergent evolution is cooked up. It's like Earth's very own research and development lab when mother nature runs countless experiments to find the most reliable and effective solution. From streamlined shapes in aquatic animals to water storage in desert plants, these recurring themes offer a behind the scenes look at the playbook of life. Convergent evolution also extends into the realm of behavior and, dare we say it, intelligence ever notice how both birds and primates use tools it's like finding out that both rock stars and classical musicians are experts at guitar shredding these similarities provide intriguing hints that there might be an optimal strategies not just for survival but also for problem solving and social interaction you know how in time travel movies they warn you not to step on a butterfly because it might drastically change the course of history? Well, convergent evolution shows us how tiny mutations or environmental shifts can ripple through time to shape the natural world in monumental ways. These recurrent patterns are like echoes through time, teaching us the past environments, ancient adaptations and even the future of evolution itself here's where it all gets sci-fi, mind-blowing and a bit weird. Studying these patterns could even help us predict future evolutionary paths. Yet we're basically talking about forecasting the weather, but for the biological world. If we understand the recurring strategies that succeed, who's to say we can't anticipate what the next big hit in the evolutionary chart will be? In a nutshell, Convergent evolution is like a cheat code to understanding the game of life. It offers shortcuts to grasping the rules, the players and even the potential head game or end game scenarios. So the next time you see a cactus or a euphorbia, or ponder the mysteries of the Hwatson, remember you're not just looking at a curiosity, you're looking at keys to the kingdom of life itself. If you thought convergent evolution was only about playing matchmaker for nature's doppelgangers or solving evolutionary riddles, well, brace yourself, we're cranking it up a notch. What if I told you that this funky little principle might also be a treasure trove for medical research? Yep, it's time to swap our safari hats for lab coats because we're diving into the life-saving potential of convergent evolution. First things first. Let's talk about Venom. Sure it's the stuff of nightmares and Indiana Jones movies but it's also an intriguing example of convergent evolution. Snakes and cone snails for example may not send out Christmas cards to each other but they've independently evolved highly complex Venoms. These aren't just poisonous cocktails designed to paralyze their dinner. They're sophisticated substances with compounds that have medicinal potential. So let's have a look at the cone snail, for example. These critters produce venom that's wickedly offensive at immobilizing prey but in a plot twist worthy of a medical drama scientists found that one of its components can actually be used as a painkiller potentially a thousand times more potent than morphine. But without the addictive properties, it's like finding out that your grandma's famous hot sauce can also cure the common cold. But why stop at venom? If convergent evolution is all about finding optimal solutions, then it's basically like Earth's open source medicinal cabinet. Every instance of convergent evolution, whether it's plant alkaloids or amphibian skin secretions, could be potential drug uh, or could be a potential drug or at least offer a blueprint for one in essence when we study these traits we're not just poking at curiosities we're unlocking nature's pharmacy the unusual or sorry the usual process of drug discovery is like cooking a gourmet meal from scratch it takes time ingredients and a lot of trial and error But if nature has already conducted millions of years of R&D, why not borrow the recipe? Using convergent evolution as a guide, researchers can sidestep some of the tedious steps and focus on refining what already works. It's like skipping straight to dessert, but the dessert is life-saving medicine. Now, before we start daydreaming about miraculous cures, Let's take a reality check. Harvesting nature's solutions comes with its own set of responsibilities, like ethical sourcing and conservation. If a particular snail who, whose venom becomes the new aspirin, we don't want to love it to extinction, right? So any venture down this promising road needs a roadmap that includes sustainability and ethical practices. And one. At the end of the day these implications of convergent evolution in medical research are like stumbling upon a wonderland. It opens up corridors of possibilities, a maze of magic potions and cures that could transform modern medicine as we know it. But what about ecosystems? What's the role of nature's copycat within ecosystems, you might be wondering? What's the connection between ecosystem balance and our fascinating topic, convergent evolution? Well, let's dig into it. Ecosystems are like intricate dances, with every uh, organism having its role to play, whether as predator, pollinator, decomposer, you name it. But here's the kicker convergent evolution often results in different species performing similar roles in unrelated ecosystems. Picture it like having understudies for key characters in different renditions of the same grand play. This doesn't just happen by accident, in Mother Nature's way of creating a robust and resilient world. So let's take a look at grasslands in North America and Africa. While the cast of characters varies from bison in North America to wildebeest in South Africa, These large grazers play a similar ecological role. They keep the grasslands healthy by mulching down the overgrown areas and allowing for new growth, dispersing seeds and nutrients in the process. Thanks to convergent evolution, the different lineages have shaped them to be grassland champions, the eco-custodians of the respected turf. The beauty of convergent evolution is that it creates a sort of safety net within ecosystems. When one species faces challenges, be it from disease, climate, or a tacky uh, invasion of non-native species, its ecological role often has a backup due to convergent traits in another species. It's like having a spare tire for ecological balance. This overlapping functionality makes ecosystems more resilient and adaptable over time. Another spicy example is how predators regulate prey populations. Whether it's an owl swooping down on rodents or a wolf pack hunting deer, predators are essential for keeping populations in check. But did you know that different predators often adapt similar hunting techniques? Take the peregrine falcon and the cheetah, air and land predators that have independently evolved astonishing speed to catch their prey. Their presence, despite being in different domains, brings balance and dynamism to the ecosystem. Understanding these relationships through the lens of convergent evolution is not just an eco-philosophy. It's practical wisdom for conservation and management. If we know which species perform similar roles across ecosystems, we can make smarter decisions about conservation priorities and even predict how ecosystems might respond to certain changes. So the next time you see nature's copycats doing their thing, remember you're witnessing the universe's way of fine-tuning its grand symphony. But it's time to wrap up this whirlwind tour through the wonderful uh the wonderland of convergent evolution. We've tiptoed through the tulips, or in this case, cacti and euphorbias, dove into the ocean with sharks and dolphins, and even debated the merits of snake venom in a medical cocktail. It's just it's been a journey that's taken us from the depths of the oceans to the intricate balance of ecosystems and right into the cutting edge labs of medical research. Convergent evolution showcases how delightfully unpredictable yet oddly predictable life can be. It's like binge-watching your favourite TV show and being surprised by the twists while also knowing that somehow things are going to work out, or at least make sense. Species separated by continents or epochs tend up solving life's puzzles in strikingly similar ways. It's proof that while the Earth spins in seemingly chaotic dance, there's an underlying rhythm and rhythm to the whole shebang. If there's one life lesson to take away from this evolutionary escapade, it's the awe-inspiring power of adaptability. Whether you're a prickly cactus withering the desert heat or a swift dolphin navigating the ocean currents, life challenges seem to echo across species and habitats. Convergent evolution isn't just a testament to the shared demonstration of a shining example for us all especially in a world that's changing faster than you can say Darwinian survival. And so as we bid adieu, let's just remember that the cacti, the sharks, and the vulnerable hawaiian, and all of the curious creatures out there, let's keep their tales of adaptability and ingenuity in mind. These instances teach us that there are multiple paths to success, and that sometimes those paths astonishing astonishingly overlap no matter the odds so keep asking questions keep exploring and most importantly keep marveling at the beautiful complexities of our planet because the story of life replete with its convergence and divergences is far from over and who knows the next amazing example of convergent evolution might be right around the corner waiting for you to discover it Well, I think we'll end this episode there. If you want more wildlife content, be sure to check out our website at biomedia.org and consider becoming a member. The majority of all profits go towards saving species on the brink of extinction. So it's definitely a good cause. There will be a lot more content and a community of like-minded zoology enthusiasts on there, as well as giveaways, photo contests, and expert Q&As, as well as the really exciting stuff that's launching later this month. So be sure to sign up for our newsletter as well and get a free copy of the birdwatchers log a printable form to log all your bird sightings and easy to put in a binder i use it myself and it's honestly really great but also you're going to be one of the first to get announcements then so make sure you sign up for that there's even a place for you to attach your picture or drawing um, depending on your preference in the Watchers log back to that quickly newsletters go out about once a month unless there is something really exciting like this announcement that's coming up and generally they contain highlights and surprises. So definitely check it out. A lot of new things on the site, uh, so be sure to stick around and follow us on social media at biome.media. And don't forget, we love hearing from you, so please do keep in touch. For now though, we'll be back in about two weeks with episode 18. If you want to hear the podcast before it is released to the public, sign up for that membership and you can get a sneak peek on all the exciting things coming down in the pipeline. Until next time though, remember to always ask questions.